0: Good morning. A lot of great things happening in, in uh, South Carolina Baptists. So uh, anyway, good to see that video. Enjoyed our worship today. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Beth, for our, our uh, worship today. Today we're talking about the love of Jesus. When my wife and I were first dating way back when in college, it, be- it became quickly known to her that I was not a big PDA guy. What is PDA? Well, it means public display of affection. I was not a big public display of affection guy. Surprise, surprise. I was just uncomfortable in general with you know, hugging in public, certainly not kissing in public. I was raised better than that, right? And uh, But my wife had no problem with it, no problem, you know, showing affection, you know. And so, She gradually got me where I was comfortable, holding hands and things like that. And and now I've gotten better with it as I've gotten older, and I know that I'm better with it and not as uncomfortable because my kids are disgusted by it when they see it (laughs) with with their dad and their mother. Sometimes you have to physically display your affection for people, whether you're comfortable with it or not, just so that they know That you love them you know I'm a handshaker I like to shake hands I'll I'll bump fists I'll pat you on the back but I'm not still really a hugger but some of you are so I hug you because I love you even though I'm not one I'll hug you because I love you even though I may not be the most comfortable doing it and I do it to show you I love you because I do Have you ever thought about how God displays his love for us? How does God display his love for us? If we display our love to people by hugging and and kissing and things like that, now how does God display it? Does he display it by providing us a a beautiful sunset? Does he display it by blessing us? Display of your love for us. Lord, I pray that my words today will reflect your heart in this passage. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, fill me with your spirit, and we would hear today what we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to give you three ways that Jesus displayed his love for us on the cross. Three ways Jesus displayed his love for us on the cross. First, he displays his love through Suffering, He displays his love through suffering. It says that two others who were criminals were led away to be crucified, to be put to death with him. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, sinless, dying beside two common criminals. A crucifixion, many of you have probably heard about this. Maybe you haven't. But it was considered one of the most brutal ways to die That's the most shameful ways to die. You are hanging on a cross. Your arms stretched out. Your hands nailed together right in your wrist. Your feet nailed together on the bottom. You died naked. And you died in public. Most people don't die in public. And most people don't die naked. Usually they're clothed with family. Nurses, hospitals, things like that. Not Jesus. Crucifixion actually originated hundreds of years before. Through the brutal... Assyrians, The brutal Babylonians, if you know any Old Testament history, you know how brutal they were. The Persians adopted them as well. Alexander the Great brought crucifixion from there to the eastern Mediterranean countries in the 4th century B.C. And then the Phoenicians introduced it to Rome in the 3rd century B.C. So about 300 years later, the Romans were doing it. And they actually perfected it for 500 years until it was abolished all the way into the 4th century A.D., by Constantine I. So they were in the middle of learning how to perfect crucifixion. But crucifixion in the Roman times was applied mostly to to slaves, disgraced soldiers, and then later Christians and foreigners. But in Jesus' time, it would have been unusual for a man like Jesus to be crucified. Verse 33. It says, They came to the place that is called the Skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals went on his right and went on his left. It's a lot that goes on with crucifixion. But Luke just says, and they crucified him. Describes the whole process in one word. And the readers would know exactly what that was. Luke's writing to Roman citizens. He doesn't have to go into detail about what happens in crucifixion. They would read this and they would think, oh, man, that's a, that's a tough way to go. That's a hard thing to go through there. I can't, that, that's horrible. They would know just by reading that what would happen. Crucifixion death would take anywhere from six hours to as long as four days if they let you hang that long. And you would die because you were scourged and beaten, maimed. You'd bleed. You'd, be, you'd have dehydration. But the most important factor or the most critical factor, I guess, was the progressive depriving of oxygen because you had a hard time breathing. This would cause a low level of oxygen. It would result in a low level of blood circulation. And death was probably precipitated by by cardiac arrest because of the blood pressure drops because you couldn't breathe. Not to mention the fact that they'd been beaten by the guards and many of their bones would be broken while they hung there. So the attending Roman guards actually, they couldn't, they weren't, they weren't able to leave their post. They couldn't clock out of work, so to speak, until, the, until the, the, the man, the person on the cross died. So many times they would quicken death. They would go ahead and get it over with so they could go home. And so they would break bones. They would... Put his spear through the heart, which is what happened to Jesus, they would do things to hasten the process so they could leave. This is the time where God chose his son to come into the world. When his practice was being perfected. God chose a very unique time for Jesus to come. Look at Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born of under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God chose this time, of all the times in history, God chose this time for Jesus to come. And so we see that Jesus' death was a glorious display of God's love for us. His suffering is a glorious display that God loves us. He didn't just die for us. He's tortured for us. He was brutalized for us. He was crucified for us. Secondly, Jesus displays his love for us through forgiveness. Look at verse 34. As he's hanging on the cross, as they're crucifying him and all the horrible things that went along with that, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they, the people, the soldiers, everyone, they know not what they do. In some ways, sin is ignorant. In some ways, sin is ignorant. We sin and don't realize we're sinning. The Apostle Paul even said so to himself when he wrote Timothy. He said that he had sinned in ignorance and unbelief when he wasn't saved, when he wasn't a believer. So God had grace on him during that time. But it's also true... That mankind, people, we know exactly what we're doing when we're sinning. (laughs) We're ignorant on some level, but we also know exactly what we're doing. Paul also says in Romans that mankind suppresses the truth and worships false idols that they know are wrong. So on one level, sin is ignorant, but on on one level, we know exactly what we're doing. Even so, Jesus still pleads to the Father to forgive the soldiers who mostly were just following orders. Then it says they cast lots to divide his garments. What do you do with the clothes of a naked and soon-to-be-dead man? Well, you give them away. You divide them up. Casting lots was similar to kind of flipping a coin, like, you know, heads, heads I get his tunic, tails you get his tunic. But what they did is they threw some dice down or some sticks or some stones and it would fall a certain way, and they decided who got what. What happened to his clothes? Just, just, just like flipping a coin. Well, you take that and you take that. Just like it was no big consequence. Here's, here's the most powerful man in the universe. Here's God himself, Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross watching people flip a coin for his clothes. Verse 35. The people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, what's the big deal? He saved others, right? He he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, if he is the chosen one. See, the rulers are the ones who have the power to stop this if they wanted to. But they had derision for Jesus. They mocked Jesus. And then the soldiers joined in because the soldiers often will do what their superiors are are doing. So they kind of joined in as well. And and they, they, they offered him some sour wine to drink, which would not taste good when you're sitting there on the cross thinking it was water. Maybe he drank the sour wine. Saying, hey, you're the king of the Jews. Save yourself if you can save others. But what the rulers and the soldiers did not understand was this. That if Jesus had gotten off that cross and saved himself, they and we would all die in our sins. We'd all be dead in our sins. We'd all die guilty. We'd all die condemned. And we'd all bust hell wide open if he had gotten off that cross. That's the beauty, that's the irony in the forgiveness of Jesus. By not saving himself, he saved others. Yet the irony didn't stop there. Look at verse 35. There's an inscription over him saying, This is the King of the Jews. He was indeed the King of the Jews, but this sign was meant to disparage his claims, but it was a truth. That would not be denied. And if there was ever a time, there's ever a time where a person would not forgive someone, there's ever a situation that, that you didn't want to forgive, that you wanted to exact some type of vengeance on, it would be during a time of torture and mockery. Think about it. I've never been tortured, <laughs> not like this, but I've been mocked. You probably have too. And whenever I've been mocked, I felt deep anger building up inside of me. You ever been made fun of or something or mocked? One of my children was kind of mocked the other day, and they asked me, how do you you deal with it? And I said, you get even. No, I didn't say that. I'm joking. (laughs) So I had to kind of talk them through a little bit about it, you know. But, you know, whenever I'm mocked, I I feel that anger inside. I I want to lash out. And I can only imagine how I would feel if I was being mocked and tortured. I'll be plotting a way to get a, to escape and get even with my torturers. There's ever a time where Jesus would have been most tempted to do things his fleshly way and act in sin. It would have been at this moment when he's on the cross, bleeding, being tortured, being mocked. It would be at that moment, I think. But he'd be most tempted to not forgive. Yet he says, Father, forgive them. See, Jesus displays his love through forgiveness. You know, we may may think that we're weak if we don't pay someone back, but what we're doing is we're showing our power. We're showing our meekness when we withhold our way of getting things right. We're showing our love. And as Jesus was crucified, he showed his love. Not just for the, the mocking rulers and the soldiers, but he showed his love for the whole world by not doing a thing. Amazing how we can love people sometimes by doing nothing. About that, we can love people by saying nothing, and Jesus loved the world by not getting off the cross. He shows us his forgiveness. And finally, number three, Jesus displays his love through assurance. Through assurance, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Do something about the Save us. You could come down. You could do. Are you not the, the, the Savior, the Messiah? And no doubt, one of the criminals heard this mocking, and they said this. Is this true? Are you the Savior? Save us. Save yourselves. What are you waiting for? But finally, a believer chimed in. Verse 40 says this. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? You are in the same sentence of condemnation. Now, now, this conversation, don't forget, takes place as they're being crucified, (laughs) hanging there, having a hard time breathing, hard time talking. And he says, we indeed justly, for we are receiving our reward right now, but this man has done nothing wrong. We deserve it by the law of the land. This man has not sinned. Other criminals said, you don't get it. We deserve this. The entire community knows this man has done nothing wrong. I've never known, besides Jesus, I've never known a person who never sinned, and you haven't either. But I know people who seem to never sin. You know what I mean? (laughs) There's some people I'm like, gosh, that person sins? I don't know when they do. I know people who just seem to be wonderful, good people. Now, I know they're sinners, but I just don't ever see it. And if I saw one of those people I know who just didn't seem to sin, if I saw them being brutally tortured, if I saw them being mocked, I imagine I'd have the same outlook as this criminal. You know that person doesn't deserve that. Think about how they've been magnified with Jesus. Not only someone who hasn't sinned, but someone who has helped people, healed people. Whole area knew about it. There he is, being mocked and tortured. And the onlookers would have realized this. And we get to verse 42, which many people know this verse. That criminal who said, we deserve it, said this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, many people have commented on this verse. Much has been said about it. And much has been said about how this criminal placed faith in Jesus right before he died. So, it's never too late for you, right? And that may well have been the case, but we're not real sure when he placed his faith. Scripture never really tells us when he did. It's possible that this thief on the cross first believed at that moment when he said, remember me. But it's also possible he believed before. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. All he asks is for Jesus to remember him. Listen, if I was the believer of Christ and I was being hanged too, I would say the same thing, remember me tonight, right? Hey, when this is over, remember me. Even though I've been a believer for many years. So we don't know when exactly it happened. But the important thing is that Jesus gives assurance because he had faith he gives assurance that he will be with him. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or if you're hanging on a cross. You believe in me, you'll be with me, he says. Yes, you're guilty of your sins, and you're, being, you're guilty for what you've done, and you're hanging on that cross, but you will be with me because you believe in me. See, all he did, all it takes to be in the kingdom of God is faith in that Jesus is who he said he was. And yes, that can happen any time. That can happen right up before death, any time. Faith in who Jesus is, who he said that he was, the Savior of mankind. 1800s, the California gold rush broke out. A man left his home in New England, left his wife and his son for the promise of riches, gold out in California and as soon as he got to California and started making some money which many people did as you know he was to then send word to his wife and his son to come on out there and join them in their new life well some time had passed but then he started succeeding and made enough money to send for them and so the, 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 the wife hadn't seen him forever you know, it's not like y'all you know, know how it was right no FaceTiming nothing like that I hadn't seen them in a while so she's excited. She takes their son. They go to New York. They get on board a Pacific steamer, and they sail away all the way around to San Francisco. And as they were on the boat, a fire broke out, which could happen anytime on the ship. And on the ship, there was a gunpowder magazine on board, and it was pretty much over for them. And so the captain knew that the moment that fire reached the powder, every man, woman, and child would die. What a horrible thing to be surrounded by water and a fire right in the boat, right? That's what was going on. So the crew got on the lifeboats. They they were too small for the amount of people on the crew, and they were overcrowded. And, of course, you're not going to put too many people on a lifeboat because then it will tip over, and that defeats the whole purpose in in the first place. So they couldn't take any more people on it. And as the last lifeboat was pushing away, there the mother and the son were still on the boat, And the mother pleaded to take her and the boy. And the crew said, no, we're full. We have as many as we can. And so she said, please just take my son. And they said, okay. And so he leapt into the boat, and the son was safe. And as they rode off, the mother said, my son, if you live to see your father again, tell him that I died in your place. And just like the woman in the story undoubtedly went to a watery grave, Jesus, after he was crucified, went to the grave and laid there Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. And Sunday morning, the sun rose, and the ladies went to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. And there was no body home. Nobody in there. Jesus had resurrected. And so his love is first displayed of us on the cross, but the fact that he got out of the grave punched our ticket to salvation. That is the love of Jesus taking our place. See, the cross was meant for criminals. It was meant for sinners. It was meant for us. But Jesus took it so that we wouldn't have to, so we would have eternal life with him.